Good morning. Uh, my heart is full already this morning, getting to sing with you all. I always look forward to the time just before the teaching of God's Word to hear the choir sing such marvelous truths to us. Uh, but this morning, I'm excited to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 9, verses 26 through 41. Uh, and if you're a guest with us this morning or don't have a copy of God's Word, you can find that on page 895 in the pocket there in front of you in the Bible that's provided for you. Two weeks ago, my wife and I were on our way home from Florida. We were flying home, and I had the privilege of getting to sit in the middle seat on the airplane. <laughs> See, we have a deal. As we're walking to our seat, if there's a female on the end, she gets the middle seat. If there's a male, then I will take it. Uh, and so uh, that landed to me on our way home just two weeks ago. And as we were preparing to take off, I had my iPad open. And I was reading the passage that's before us this morning. I wanted to kind of get a head start and start wrapping my mind around it, even though I realized after reading it that Pastor Connolly gave me the middle of the passage, so I was going to have to pick up where he left off. I was like, well, I might as well wait till he's done. But I'll get my mind around it anyway. I started to read it. And just after we took off, the man next to me asked what I was reading. So, well, actually, I'm, I'm reading John chapter 9. It's a fascinating story in the Bible. And I started to talk about it. He said, I'm a Christian also. And I'm thinking in my head, well, where are you from? I'm from, I'm from Easley. And I said, of course you're a Christian, right? I mean, we live in a very Christian area. Uh, and so we start talking about the Bible. And uh, he said, I grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In fact, I'm a third-generation believer what he said. He had just finished his five-year stint of being a bishop in his ward, which is like a pastor for us, and it's a voluntary position. And so he worked his job and was a bishop there in his ward, in this ward and, and he was preaching, responsible, responsible for preaching every week. And so I asked him, how do you craft your sermons? I'm going to be preaching in two weeks, and this is the passage I'm going to be uh, talking about. I'm just curious, what, what do you use? Well, I use the Bible, of course. Do you use anything else? Well, of course. He, he rattles off all the other books that he uses. Uh, we spent the next hour and a half talking about who Jesus is. He spent the hour and a half trying to convince me that we believe in the same Jesus, that we're all on the same team. He, he bemoaned the fact that people call them Mormons. We're no longer Mormons. We're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We're all Christians. We're all believers and we need, to be, we need to be together for Jesus, not divided. I spent the next hour and a half trying to craft arguments from Scripture of why we don't believe in the same Jesus and, and what Scripture says about Jesus in comparison to Him. The longer our conversation went, the more tension that came. And every time I felt like he thought I was agreeing with him, I think I would get an elbow from my wife like, you need to dig in harder. He, he, he thinks you agree with him. And so at the very end of the conversation, I tried to bring it back down to this and this alone. This is what we believe about Jesus. And if someone doesn't believe this about Jesus, what this says about him, we're not on the same team. It's not the same Jesus. In our text this morning, we're going to see a, a similar conversation. Uh, we're going to see a conversation between uh, a group, two groups of people. Uh, we have this blind man who's now been healed by Jesus. And he's not yet a Christian. And as we go through our conversation this morning, he's going to get closer 
and closer and closer, and then ultimately he is going to place his faith and trust in Christ. Uh, on the other side of the conversation, we have the disciples, I mean the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are getting farther and farther away from the truth, and we realize more and more that they are actually blind to spiritual truth, like my LDS friend that I met on the airplane two weeks ago. So in order to understand our, our chapter, uh, like I said a few moments ago, Pastor Connolly uh, cover the first 25 verses. And so we need to kind of cover that to give ourselves some context of what we're dealing with here. And in John chapter 9, if you look back at verse number 1 and kind of follow with me as we work through that, we see that Jesus is using this blind man as really a real-life object lesson, right? He's, he's opening verses. We're introduced to a man who was born blind and sits by a gate begging his entire life. And we see God uses this as an illustration to his disciples to explain human suffering and the work of God. And he's explaining to his disciples that this man didn't sin, and his parents didn't sin. He's actually blind because of me, because of God. God wants to use human suffering to show his divine glory and his power. And it makes sense because John's been trying to show us the entire book who Jesus is. He's the sent one from God. He is God. This miraculous act by Jesus confuses the neighbors and the Jews, and so they take it to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees hear it, and of course, they're infuriated. They're angry at Jesus. Um, and so we see this contrast between unbelief and the verified miracle that Jesus had just done. These religious leaders have been trying to discredit Jesus, and yet he heals a man that was born blind, making it difficult for them to prove that he's not from God. And, and as the story progresses, we see this contrast between man-made religion from the Pharisees and Jesus as the messianic savior, the one who came to heal the world. So the Pharisees, in an act of discredit Jesus, they first appeal to the law, right? Jesus has healed this man on the Sabbath day. It doesn't fit with their man-made religion. It doesn't fit with what they believe to be holy and to be right. And so they're mad at Jesus. They call him a sinner. He can't be from God. But even, even the Pharisees were divided on this. They couldn't come to agreement on it. And so the, the next way they try to discredit Jesus is they appeal to his parents. Surely this man isn't actually born blind. Jesus, he, he must have healed him some other way. And yet his parents confirmed that this is our son, and he was indeed born blind. All the evidence of Jesus healing this man miraculously, and yet the Pharisees refused to believe. So in verse 24, they press in on this beggar, and they're trying to force him to change his story. And the beggar says, whether he is a sinner, talking about Jesus, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Look, I'm not a well-studied man, he says. I'm not a Pharisee. I haven't studied the scriptures like you have. I've been blind my whole life. But let me just tell you what happened. I was born blind. I've been a beggar my whole life. This man comes up to me and spits in the mud and covers my eyes in mud. I walk over to this pool, and I wash it all off, and now I can see. It feels like the climax of the story, doesn't it? What else is there to be said? The truth has been spoken. The truth can be seen. And yet we have verses 26 through 41. Let's read those together and see what is happening. 
They said to him, that's the Pharisees, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Pray with me for a moment. God, we praise you that you have the ability and the power to give sight to a man who is born physically blind. God, we come to you this morning praying that you would enlighten our eyes to the truths of your word. Use your spirit and guide us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that. Jesus has healed the man's physical blindness. But these verses show us this morning that there is a greater need than simply physical blindness. Jesus is going to reveal to us that there is a spiritual blindness that needs to be healed. This humble beggar who's already been given physical sight will receive spiritual sight. So as we walk through these verses, they're going to reveal to us three components that lead to spiritual sight. For someone who is spiritually blind to gain spiritual sight, they must first have the following three components. Ears willing to listen. We'll see that in verse 26 and 27. A mind willing to understand and hearts willing to believe. Look with me at verse 26 and 27 as we see ears willing to listen. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now, at this point in the passage, we're starting to feel the tempers rise, the frustration with both sides starting to inflate. But if we're honest and we read this, we can't blame the Pharisees for asking how someone receives sight. Why is the blind man so frustrated with all this? Well, as we have seen in the previous verses, the blind man's already answered this question twice. In verse 10 and 11, when right after he was healed, the neighbors come and he explains to them in detail how he was able to see. 
So then the neighbors take it to the Pharisees, and they explain it to the Pharisees. And then the Pharisees come to the blind man, and they ask him the same question. So he, he answers it again, just gives them less details in this point, because he knows they've already heard it from the neighbors. And now here in verse 26, he's being asked the exact same question again. It, it becomes clear that what the Pharisees are doing is really a tactic that we do as parents, or school teachers might use, right? When a student or a child or someone gives us an answer, and we don't believe their answer, we think they're lying, right? And rather than saying, you're a liar, we ask the question again. Oh, let me give you another chance. Let me ask you a different way. Tell us, tell us the truth this time, right? This is what the Pharisees are doing with the blind man. They're trying to get him to change his story. But notice the, the blind man, there's nothing to change, right? It's a simple explanation. He says in verse 27, I've told you already, and would you not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? You see the contrast between this idea of listening and hearing. The Pharisees are hearing what the blind man says. They're hearing the words, but they're refusing to listen. They're not responding appropriately to the truth that he's telling them. Students in school are skilled at this, right? Teachers? They hear you, but are they listening to you? Are they taking in? And oftentimes as a teacher, you wonder. But let's be honest with ourselves this morning. How often do we come to church and we dress up and we bring our Bibles and we bring our notepads and our pens and we hear the teaching of God's Word week in and week out? How often do we hear the teaching and go out from here having not listened, having not taken it and responding to the message of truth that we've been given? In order for truth to change someone, they must have ears willing to listen to the truth. So rather than repeating himself, notice what the blind man does in verse 27. Do you also want to be his disciple? Now, imagine the Pharisees when he says this to them, right? You know the Pharisees, you know how much they hate Jesus. And so he asked them if they would like to be his disciples. Absolutely not, never. Like in, in chapter 8, it's the Pharisees that say, Jesus has a demon. In this chapter alone, in verse 16, they've already said he cannot be from God because he's healed someone on the Sabbath day. In this chapter, in verse 24, they've made this false claim to know Jesus and to know that he was a sinner. And we know the Pharisees would have nothing to do with sinners. But yet, this blind man can clearly see what's happening with the Pharisees. It doesn't matter what he says if it's not exactly what they want to hear. They're not looking for truth. They're looking for someone to agree with them. To say that they believe truth is what they are saying, not what it truly is. So the Pharisees become then an example of those who do not have ears willing to listen to truth, even when it's presented with overwhelming evidence. They're blinded by their traditions, by their laws, by the way they've always done things. Those things become more important than truth. And this is really what was happening with my LDS friend on the airplane. 
He, he, wasn't, he wasn't having this conversation with me to, to hear a, a different perspective and possibly change his beliefs. Instead, he was unwilling to listen, no matter what I said about Scripture, no matter what evidences I provided, no matter what verses I read, he had a different answer, a different truth from a different source. Well, perhaps you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Christ. I would ask you in your searching if you have ears willing to listen to the truth of God's word this morning. If you've been around Hampton Park at all, you see on our website, you see in your service booklet, you see everywhere, life by the book. So what we mean by that is we believe God's word, the Bible, to be infallible, without error, right? It's the ultimate, absolute truth. It's what we live our lives by. So we preach it, we teach it, and we live by it. We don't teach our own sets of standards here, or traditions, or creeds. We want to be faithful followers of Jesus. And so, as we continue on, we recognize that the first component that leads to spiritual sight, which the Pharisees did not have, were ears willing to listen to this truth. But the path to spiritual sight also requires a mind willing to understand. Look with me at verses 28 through 34. So here's the Pharisees' response to the blind man's question or invitation to be a disciple of Jesus. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. We'll pause there. See, the beggar has, has struck a chord with the Pharisees. And they revert to the age-old tactic of bullying. It says that they reviled him. That's not a term that we use, I don't think, ever. Uh, they began to cast insult upon insult publicly to this man who has been a beggar his whole life. Think about that. The religious leaders, the ones who are well-studied, the ones who have studied the Old Testament and know it well, are openly mocking and making fun of a man who was once blind his entire life. Now he can see. He, he has a chance in life, and they're mocking him. And they say, we're going to stick with Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but we do not know where this man is from. Which, that, that's a lie. They've already claimed earlier in the book of John that they believe him to be from Galilee, right? They claim to follow Moses, this, this father figure in Judaism, because he is the expert when it comes to the law, right? Moses is this figure who God spoke to, who God used to bring Israel out of bondage and slavery, who parts the Red Sea, who stands on Mount Sinai with God speaking to him face to face, and he comes down with the law. And they say, this is who we're going to believe in, not Jesus. We know God's spoken to this one. Now, there's some irony in this. Not only because Jesus would agree with them, that yes, God indeed did speak to Moses, but there's also irony that Jesus has been using Moses as an argument against the Pharisees throughout the entire book. In John chapter 7, verse 22 through 24, Jesus says, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, 
but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. See, Jesus is calling them out on their own inconsistencies with the law given to them by Moses. They can circumcise somebody on the Sabbath to adhere to the law, which is also against the law. And when Jesus heals someone's entire body, or in this case, heals a blind man on the Sabbath, they're going to call him a sinner and not from God. But there's more irony, because in chapter 5, Listen to what Jesus says to them about Moses. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? Do not think that I accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Who you want to be a disciple of. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my word? They're, they're saying that they know all these rules and laws from Moses, and yet Jesus is saying, Moses said I was coming. He even told you how I was going to come. And yet, you do not believe even what Moses told you about me. And so we have another response in verse 30 from the blind man. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. That's Jesus. You don't know where Jesus comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Imagine the picture. He looks at them and says, Really? This is quite unbelievable. You're, you're going to place your faith and your trust in circumstances and in people, Moses, and which you didn't see. You're trusting in the sacred scriptures written down over hundreds of years, passed down to you. You weren't there, and you're going to believe and trust in them over and above what you're seeing right now who and what is in front of you. It's never been told in all of history that someone has healed someone who's been born blind. And they're going to look at that evidence and ignore it and excuse it and remain blind to it. This reality of God shutting his ears to sinners and listening to those who come to him in humility to worship and obey him is, is seen throughout the entire Old Testament in Psalm chapter 66, the psalmist says, Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and with high praises was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. This is what the blind man's referring to. Do you think anyone could heal someone who's been born blind that wasn't from God, that God wouldn't listen to him and grant him that ability and that power, he must be from God. So in verse 32, he says, no one's been born this way. No one's healed anyone this way. Not even Moses, essentially. 
If this man, Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. Surely Jesus is greater than Moses. And surely you can see this, Pharisees. And it's at this point in the conversation that it seems like the blind man has outwitted them. He's laid everything out. He's flipped their arguments on their head. He's used truth from the Old Testament the Pharisees would have been very familiar with. And yet, we see that they don't have minds willing to understand what is right in front of them. Their frustration turns to anger in verse 34. The Pharisees point their fingers back at the man and say, wait a second, you were the one that was born in utter sin, not us, right? This is what the the theology of sin and suffering that Jesus dealt with at the very beginning of John chapter 9. The Pharisees have that same type of theology. They think that anyone born with an infirmity or sickness must have sinned somehow. The parents must have sinned. And so that's what they're saying. How dare you lecture us in theology? In truth, you were the one born in utter sin. This is why preacher Jonathan Edwards and theologian says this. One under the influence of spiritual pride is more apt to instruct others than to inquire for himself. And naturally puts on the airs of a master. Where one that is full of pure humility naturally has on the air of a disciple. This is what the Pharisees are doing. They, they take back the argument because they put on the air of a master, of a rabbi, of a teacher. They put this man down, trying to put him into his place. And then they, they flex their religious muscles and they cast him out. They cast him out of the synagogue. Now, this is much more serious than how we would generally even view church discipline here. When he's being cast out of the synagogue, he's being made a stranger and an exile among his people, even more so than he was as a blind beggar. His parents, they can't help him, or else they'd be cast out as well. In verse 22, that's what they're afraid of. This is why they don't give the full disclosure to the Pharisees. This blind man who's been healed stands completely alone. It's so easy for us to sit here this morning and think of the Pharisees and say, that's not me. I would never do that. I will always believe in truth when it's presented so clearly, when it's so obvious before me. Wait, but then again, isn't that the point of this passage? Like, the Pharisees are unwilling to understand truth because they are 100% blind. They, they truly do not believe they need truth. They're good. When, when pride is in our hearts, spiritual eyesight begins to darken. It begins to grow dull. You and I become spiritually blind when we think that we are good. There's no need of transformation in our hearts and in our lives. We grow spiritually blind when we begin to compare ourselves to everyone else around us rather than the holiness of Christ. We're blind when we fight for tradition or personal preferences over truth. When we hold on to our sin rather than repent and forsake it. When we think that everyone else needs to change, everyone else is wrong, 
we are religiously blind, spiritually blind. When we come to church as an act, a religious act or duty, rather than as blind beggars in desperate need of grace. We sit here this morning, we come this morning in need of Jesus, do we not? So the contrast between the pride of the Pharisees and the humility of the blind man continues to grow larger. We see that this this blind man had ears willing to listen to truth. We, We actually saw that in the previous chapter, even when Jesus put mud on his eyes and told him to go wash. That doesn't make any sense. How is washing some mud off my eyes going to do anything? And yet, he, he willfully listened to Jesus and obeyed. He walked to the pool and he cleansed. But he also had a mind willing to understand and not turn away from the truth. But finally, we're going to see a heart willing to believe. In verse 35 through 41, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered him, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. See, the blind man, he's got nothing. He's got a sight, but he's been cast out. And what happens? Jesus comes back into the story. Isn't this what Jesus does? When we're at our lowest, when we have nothing left, this is when Jesus comes back in. He comes in with compassion and with grace. And it's at this point we remember in the story earlier in John 9 that the blind man hasn't seen Jesus right? He went to wash and Jesus left. We haven't seen Jesus in almost the entire chapter until right here. So the man washed and cleansed, but Jesus is nowhere to be seen. And so he comes back up to this man. He seeks him out and he asks him one simple question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? This is one of Jesus's favorite terms about himself, the Son of Man. The Son of Man was prophesied about in Daniel chapter 7 and really throughout the entire Old Testament. But Jesus will identify himself to be the Son of Man in the book of John five times. In John 3, whoever believes in the Son of Man will have eternal life. In John chapter 5, God the Father gives the Son of Man power to execute judgment. In John chapter 6, the Son of Man is the food that endures to eternal life. In John chapter 12 and 13, the Son of Man is going to be glorified by the Father. So when Jesus asked this blind man, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's asking, do you believe in the object of Jewish hope that will bring healing and salvation to the world? That's been prophesied for all this time. And the blind man stands ready. Who is he that I may believe in him? Now Jesus ties his healing with his identity. You have seen him, and it is he that is speaking to you. We see this heart willing to believe in the blind man's response. When when he's confronted by the reality of who Jesus is, he confesses him to be Lord, 
Lord, I believe. And then he worships. Now, worship in the Jewish culture throughout Scripture is very different than the way we view worship in modern evangelicalism today, is it not? So many people today think of worship and they think of emotions and feelings. Or churches might say, we're going to do announcements and we're going to pray and we're going to speak, but now it's time to go to worship and we're going to sing. No, that's not what's happening here. The, the blind man worships. He, he, he falls prostrate to the ground before Jesus. He makes himself low before him. He's, he's showing him honor do his name. He recognized Jesus for who he is. And the only proper response is that type of worship to Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the King. And Jesus coming not to heal people of blindness, physical blindness, but to come and give spiritual sight and give salvation to those in need is why Jesus came. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 17 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the King of Ages, Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. It's ironic that Jesus struck Paul blind before Paul could see. This beauty, this is the beauty of the gospel. It's only by grace of Jesus coming to us that we can be rescued from our spiritual blindness, from our unbelief. And this faith by the blind man is not blind faith. It's, it's rooted in things. It's grounded in the reality of who Jesus is. He recognizes him as Lord. He's healed him. He is the sent one from God to give light to this dark world, to save people from their sins. He's eternal. And this is how John began John chapter one, the book of John in John chapter 1. And what Jesus has been proving the entire time, that Jesus is God, and he came to save people from their sins. We believe in Jesus because he is the only one that has the power to save. So as we respond, we respond, Lord, I believe, and we worship him. So the healing has now come full circle, and Jesus has healed the physical blindness, and now he's healed his spiritual blindness, and really, verse 39 through 41 clarifies everything that's been going on for us. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, Are we also blind? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus came to give sight, spiritual sight to the world. But when he does, it results in judgment for others. All who humbly come to Jesus as this blind man, recognizing their need 
will be given sight. But those who reject him will become blind. Listen to John chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now that sounds opposite of what we just read. But if we keep reading, look what it says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. So the Pharisees hear this, and they say, are, are we also blind, Jesus? And Jesus is like, if you, if you were to admit that you were blind, I would heal you. I, I would give you eternal life. I would give you sight. I would allow you to see but as long, as long as you reject me, as long as you think you can see and you think you're spiritually good, your guilt remains. You're going to be under condemnation. Those who think they can see, who think they have it together, have no need of Jesus, who will remain spiritually blind. The same is true for us today. But those who recognize that they are blind and in need of Christ and the salvation that he offers will be given sight. If you're here this morning and you can see Jesus for who he is, and you've cried out, Lord, I believe, and he's changed you, this calls us to humility, does it not? It calls us to be reminded that we are saved not because of our own faithfulness and our own works and our own goodness, our own wisdom, or how well we know this. We're saved by grace. Jesus found us, and he rescued us. The longer that we are in Christ, the greater our humility should grow. The more we realize that we are in desperate need of him, the more we realize how sinful we truly are. But I think this text also leads us to remember that we live in a world that's blind to truth. They don't recognize their need. Like, like the Pharisees, they think they're good. They work hard at it. My LDS friend on the plane, he was convinced he had it all figured out. Allow this to inform you as you interact with others this week. Be patient. Recognizing that they truly don't know. But also speak truth firmly. It is only the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word that's going to lead them out of their spiritual blindness. And so if you are here today and you're not yet in Christ, Jesus is the object of our faith. As Christians, he is the light of the world he came to save us, came to save sinners through his death on the cross. And he's calling you to humbly come to him, to turn from your sins, to place your faith and trust in him alone. Jesus stands ready to save. He stands ready to give spiritual sight to those that are blind. So the problem with spiritual blindness is that we don't know that we have it. 
We can't see the areas that need to change in our lives because we're blind to them. And this is why we must continue having ears willing to listen to the truth of God's Word. We must have minds willing to understand and hearts willing to believe in Jesus, the only one who can give sight. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the gift of Jesus. God, we stand in need this morning. We praise you for the salvation that you've given to many. And for those of us who are in Christ, we pray that you would continue to give us spiritual sight. That we would see and hear and understand and believe in the truth of your word each and every day. That we praise you that you are God. May we glorify you this week.